0: Hi there, I'm Carla Sisenko. I am so excited to be In Creative Company today and talking to Jesse James Kaitel about Queer as Folk. Jesse, hello, how are you?
1: Hi, I'm doing so great. Thank you so much for having me today.
0: Oh my God, I, I am so excited to talk to you. Um, and I just, let's just dive right in. Um, what is it like? As an actor, is there an added pressure? So Queer as Folk, the, this is the newest iteration of Queer as Folk. The original was the British show. Then there was an American incarnation. Um, is there an added pressure or, or added anything as an actor when you're taking on a role in a show that not only has previous iterations, but also has a very loyal fan base?
1: Oh, of course. I mean, it meant so much to so many people. I mean, it... it it gave them a chance to see themselves for the first time. You know, there's people who look back on the original versions and and it's one of their fondest memories from from growing up or or seeing themselves in their adult lives for the first time on TV. So, of course, it's definitely an added pressure. But there's also a a relief because, you know, we're bringing it to a new generation of people, people who still may not have seen themselves reflected on TV in the same way. So, um, especially myself as a trans woman, you know, I can look at the originals and, I'm a fan, I I really do enjoy them, but I don't really see my lived experience reflected. So now um, I have a really cool opportunity to bring it to a whole new group of people who uh, maybe didn't get to see the originals.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a good point in that every, even the most inclusive show at a particular point in time, uh, once time passes, then you look back and there are blank spots.
1: And it's so funny, we definitely, we put so much pressure on like queer shows in particular to, to represent the entirety of the LGBTQ plus community. When that, that's impossible, no one show can ever do that. Um, and what's amazing about like the original shows, they paved the way for so many other shows to be made. So I don't know, hopefully us doing this, we get to do it for a long time and can tell some really cool stories, but also hopefully this, allows more queer creators to have their shows greenlit and, and get more and more content made.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. And, and I will say, I agree with you that not one show can do everything, but I will say that your show does a lot in t- terms of, of visibility for people that I think, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say like, have quite literally never been seen before as visibly as they are. On Queer as Folk, there, there's an episode. Not to spoil, I'm, I'm assuming that our, our viewers have already binged the series, like I did. But the the Crip rave was absolutely Incredible. amazing.
1: Yeah, Ryan O'Connell wrote a beautiful episode of TV, and you know what? You know what I love so much about not just our show, but that episode in particular. We have different queer characters with different types of disabilities, and some of them don't. They don't like each other. You know, it's like they're there's and they're they're loved. They get their heart broken. They have Full, well-rounded sexual experiences. It's um, it's so cool, you know. It's just like, and and what I love too, it's like this group of people is such an organically, an organically diverse friend group. You know, it reminds me of my real life friend group. Um, it's uh, I think I think we did something special, and I'm very proud to be part of it.
0: Yeah, I think so too. It's it's and in classic, I think that this is kind of the one through line of all the queerest folks. It is it is uh simultaneously incredibly moving and and kind of makes me emotional but it's also like raucously funny (laughs) and cheeky and and just you get every emotion
1: (laughs) there are a bunch of gays in a room you can't help but laugh here and there you know i mean i think what what i i think stephen dunn did such a great job in how he crafted the story because yes it follows in like the, the wake of a tragedy but it's not about that it's about this community of people coming together and um it's something he said very very wisely is like you know you can't really separate queer joy from queer trauma it's they are inextric inextricably linked and um you know we smile smile between the tears and um i think it's it's i personally as as a viewer and a fan of our show i um i i think it's done right
0: yeah I'm I'm glad that you brought up Stephen Dunn actually because I I wanted to talk about about the executive producer a little bit. Um, so part of the process. So as you mentioned, there there is a shooting that happens in the very first episode um, in what was formerly a safe space, Babylon, the the place that you know most most of our main characters are present for the shooting and and it is. I think you described it beautifully. It's, it's kind of like, it's not what the show is about, but it is the underpinning, it is, it is always there. It is always the trauma that has happened to them collectively. Um, and, and Stephen Dunn said that that talking to and bringing on survivors of the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando was, was critical and, and crucial in, in terms of crafting uh, the series. And I'm wondering as an actor if if you were working directly with 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 the the consultants that had have, have lived through an actual real life shooting at, at a, a queer club and and what that and if yes what you know what that experience was like
1: yeah no um, I didn't get to work with any of them directly I know they were very present for the uh, in the writers room process um, and I believe were consulted consulted throughout uh, parts of filming but um, I think what Steven did it really well is he, he did it with care and with love. You know, this wasn't in a, an attempt to exploit a, a tragedy. It was an attempt to honor people who survived it and people who who didn't. Um, you know, I was working in nightlife in New York City during Pulse and I believe in 2016. And I'll never forget that night uh, or the, the following night, me and my friends all went out um, purposely with intention. And it was scary because, you know, so this, heinous tragedy that i i personally didn't know anyone who was um, a victim in um just happened but it was us collectively as a community coming together and so leaning on each other to find support and that's what is reflective in the show you know the second episode follows with six weeks later and it doesn't yes it explores how we're dealing with tragedy and how we're dealing with the trauma and we all deal with it differently in real life and on screen and um we still have to find the moments of joy, because it's the moments of joy that gets us through it. And um, and there's plenty of joy to be had in in the show, and there's plenty of joy to be had in life as a queer person, even though even though um, the media and legislation is making it uh, increasingly difficult to to exist as a queer person in America in 2022. Um, there is so much joy to be celebrated and. The show coming out during Pride, um, you know, I feel like it, it's changed what Pride really means to, to me and, and to us as, as a community.
0: I think that lesson <laughs> about there being joy to be had is is relevant to so many communities that are struggling right now. And so to see the, the queer experience and all its diversity and, and heterogeneous nature um those moments of joy are are absolutely needed right now like absolutely like
1: yeah I think so too and you know and what's cool is like we get to see these people who are beautifully flawed and like I don't know a single person who isn't flawed in their own way and we get to see all these different types of queer people with completely different lived experiences each work through their own flaws or not work through them
0: yeah, we're watching. Well, your character in particular, Ruthie, um, is certainly. I don't know. I I feel like <laughs> I, I have such an affinity for Ruthie, and I think I, I I let her off the hook a little bit. Like I don't think she's as flawed as like I, some of the reviews that I, I'm like, come on, she's <laughs> these are normal struggles. Um, yes, I
1: love Ruthie because she feels real. She feels like me. I've made every like, mistake she's made. I feel like I've made um you know like who hasn't and, and i think especially as queer people like um i think a few, i've seen a few people be like she's such a liar and it's like yeah why is she lying why is she lying because she's got these other large secrets she's had in her life so and and as as the, that's something that i think a lot of queer people can definitely relate to you know when you're hiding something like the love for for a friend or you know um or you're fear of being a parent, or your inability to process the trauma from that night, of course you're going to just keep lying. Because you don't, it's easier to lie about everything than it is to tell the truth about that one thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love her. Um, and those Me people, um, you know, glass houses, I would say to those people who are upset. About
1: well, it's it. funny, I think, I think <laughs> a lot of audiences, like, yeah, truly glass houses, I think a lot of people are like, wish Every queer character was the saintly representation that we're used to seeing, and I'm like, babe, you that ain't that ain't that that's not who I want to see. I want to yeah. see people. I don't want to see them be messy for the sake of being messy, but I want to see them um, struggle. I want to see them try. I want to see them fail. You know, like when we give cis, straight cis characters and straight cis actors so much freedom to fail, and we really. So it's, I feel like we're at a turning point, but finally allowing queer people to make mistakes on TV. Yeah,
0: and I think connected to that is a point you made earlier, which is, you know, so the character of Julian who has cerebral palsy and the character of Marvin who's in a wheelchair, they don't get along. And no. Marvin makes that point. He's like, we're supposed to just get along because we're part of, of a, a community of, of, of disabled people.
1: Yeah, like... like no, no. I love like
0: that. It's complex and that's, that's what life is, it's complex.
1: Yeah, it's rich, it's nuanced. It's, there's, there's a complexity to it. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm so excited to, to hopefully get to explore more of that because there's so many layers of the onion to, to peel back.
0: Yeah, one, one um, really crucial part of book is the sex and the sex scenes. And I'm wondering for you as an actor, there's some very, very intimate scenes uh, that I imagine require a lot of vulnerability. And I'm wondering what the experience is like filming those both emotionally as a person and then also kind of logistically in terms of intimacy coordinators and and what it's like to film scenes like the the scenes that you're filming.
1: Yeah, it was, very vulnerable and very emotional, both on screen and off. Um, You know, it took, I've always said I would do, I would do full frontal nudity for the right role, the right project, the right scene. And then I was presented with that. And I had this golden opportunity to show, not just my body, but Ruthie's body in a way that's presented without shame. And the sex scenes are not gratuitous in my opinion. They, um, they inform the story, they inform what she's going through and, um, what she's going through is something I think a lot of trans women can relate to. It's something that, um, I, I personally related to, um, I didn't need to have input on the story because, you know, Jacqueline Moore, our co-showrunner is a trans woman and her lived experience in many ways has mimicked part of my own. And, um, You know, we worked with an intimacy coordinator named Hannah, who not only made me feel protected, but advocated for me occupying space as a trans woman in ways that I am so grateful for. Because um, I definitely, my biggest fear with filming the the scene at the end of episode two was not not actually um, doing it. You know, being naked in front of your coworkers is obviously a little odd but like you get over that kind of quickly. Um, it was the repercussions of it. You know, I I know 20 something years ago, a lot of the actors on Queer As Folk um, struggled to, to to work again. People only viewed them for their characters. They viewed them, they're like, I couldn't put, I listened to an interview, um, I believe it was Peter Page who said, uh, you know, he couldn't book a job on ABC because he was just having sex on, on, on this show, or I, mean, I I don't want to put words in his mouth, but, um, you know, and, and that's, it's things like that that made me think about, yes, there've been so many strides in LGBT representation and people view sex a little differently now, but I'm still a trans woman and I'm facing a lot of backlash and a lot of prejudice. Um, even though I'm white and skinny and relatively pretty, um, I'm still a trans woman and, um, showing my body in a way that is explicitly trans um, unapologetically trans I was expecting to get an unprecedented amount of hate. I was expecting to um, never be able to book a job again in my life. Um, that's obviously not I don't think that's gonna be the case um, because I was I was like you know it's not about me it's about Ruthie it's about um, it's about the community and telling stories that haven't been told, you know, that that scene, I view that scene so, it's so emotional because she, she feels so disconnected from her body, you know, for the first time in years. And it's funny, exploring how she felt disconnected from her body uh, made me feel so much more connected with my own. And um, maybe this is reading too much into it, but the, the very end of the episode, um Ruthie's like about to burst into tears. And that was that was me having just um having just realized what I was doing. I like stared down at my naked body and was like not only am I doing this? It was like I broke the fourth wall for a second. I was like not only am I doing this, but um this will matter to someone. And and then also thinking about um that, as, as odd as it is to make this comparison, that scene is directly tied to her experience at Babylon a few weeks before. And it was, um, that was the closest it hit for me of being like, I'm, I'm still here. I'm, I'm just lucky enough to be here and be able to do what I'm doing.
0: And I have to say as a cis straight woman, the conversation that Ruthie and Char have when, you know, Char is like, you know, you have this sex, it's not all about sex. Ruthie's the way that Ruthie explains why it is not, sex is not just sex (laughs) And, and how tied it all is with her and her body and her inhabitation of her body was to me incredibly, I had, I had, for as much as I think I understand and for as much as I learn every day, I had never heard something that, um, it, it, I, I just, all of a sudden was like, oh my God, I, it was a brilliant, really affecting explanation of, of Ruthie.
1: Thank you. You know, it, it, I remember reading that for the first time and that it's not 100% true to my, my lived experience, but there's so many things about that that I'm like, the reason we're able to have this conversation right now is because we've got queer people behind the camera who they're not, they're not writing some, uh, their understanding of what it means. We've got people writing the real understanding and it makes such a profound difference makes such a profound difference in, in with the storytelling of it. And CG is such a, an amazing scene partner to work with. The two of us have so much trust for each other that um, filming that scene filming, you know, in the beginning of episode two where they walk in on me uh, with a dildo in my ass. It's like, <laughs> you know, like, um, it, it, I never felt, I never felt unsafe. And I think that's really special.
0: Yeah. Um, I, let's talk about episode six. So episode six, Bleep, which I mean, oh my God. I don't even, I feel like we could talk for half an hour just about this episode. So, so Bleep, we basically get to see Ruthie before she transitioned. Anytime her dead name is used, it's Bleeped Out, which I just thought was the most masterful, uh, just, I, I, I don't know how that felt as an actor, as a viewer. I was like, yup. (laughs) That's. that's
1: Yeah. It. It's so respectful. And you know what? Because I think cis people love to focus on the transition aspect of trans people. They're like, tell me all the surgeries you've had. Tell me all these procedures. Tell me about your coming out experience. Tell me about this, 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 tell me, tell me what was your, what's your dead name? What's this? And it's um, exploitative and, inappropriate and uncalled for. So now we have a, a not a transition story, but a, a journey through Ruthie's pre-transition self. And you don't need to know her dead name. You just need to see the effect it has on her, both in the past and in the present. Yeah. Um, because that's all that matters. That's all that matters in this moment. Um, and really it's, a, it's an origin story for her and, and Brody and the, the love they have for each other. Um, you know, He there, there's a line, something I, something I really love. You know, Ruthie has so much love for Cher and so much love for Brody, and it's so obvious on screen. Um, in episode two, during that big monologue about transness to Cher, um, it takes this big monologue for Cher to see eye to eye with Ruthie. In episode six, She doesn't have to say anything brody just goes i see you and it's that it's such a different kind not one one's not better than the other there's just a different type of of love that we get to see in episode six
0: i mean it that it was a real roller coaster of emotions um there's a, moment on, a um, there's the moment on the float when Brody uses Ruthie's dead name, which I, I audibly gasped. I actually got my, like, I gasped.
1: It was um, so much I'm fun like... to film that, too. <laughs> it was fun to
0: film? Okay, so this is what I'm curious about. Oh. What was it like?
1: Okay, I had, okay, first off, Bleep was not my role at first. They wanted to cast a younger actor, and I, I sent in a self-tape months before we filmed it, unprompted. I sent a self-tape and a love letter being like, I need to play this role. I had a wig. I did, I did this play school uniform and everything because I was like, this is too well-written. It is too close to my heart of how much I want to do this. Um, finally got the green light to do it. I was ecstatic. Um, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a panic attack the first time I saw myself dressed up in it. Um, I'll never forget Jacqueline, uh, Jacqueline Moore, the, co-showrunner walked into the hair and makeup trail just like check on me and say hi and I was just like I had to hear a stream down my face uh, and I couldn't speak um it was worth every second I had so much fun doing it it was such a challenge honestly that was a bigger challenge for me as an actor than being naked um it, it was it was hard it was hard to see myself like that it was hard to um remember what it was like when I was that age, having, I I called an ex-boyfriend of mine from high school being like, you're never going to believe, um, this feels oddly similar to conversations. Like, I feel like we've had, Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it was such a gift of, of an experience. It really, it really challenged me. It really pushed my boundaries and my own comfort level as, as an actor.
0: Yeah. I, I, kind of assumed that, but did not assume that you would say it was really fun.
1: Which it is- was so fun. And let me tell you, ripping Brody a new one on that float, I looked, the second I read that, I was like, I can't fucking wait to film that. Um, we, that was one of my favorite scenes to film because me, me and Devin, that was also our last scene we filmed together. Um, Cause we actually filmed episode six last. Um, and so it was, he, he has become one of my very best friends I've ever had. And so getting to play best friends on the show has been really, like, so special. Um, and then getting to rip him a new one. Woo! That felt <laughs> <good>. Like...
0: <laughs> I love that. I wish we all got that opportunity with our best friends. Yeah,
1: it's like, you selfish day. asshole. <laughs> yeah. And what's what's so fun about, about that scene, too, and, and, like, why it stings so much is then Ruthie just digs in the knife herself. And and it really, I think we've all been there. I'd like to think we I personally like to think that I'm not that person. Like I would never weaponize something to to hurt someone. But of course we all have, either intentionally or unintentionally. And and um they're both just so hurt. And we really, we really see it come to a, you know, a nice place. Yes. Place.
0: Yeah, I agree. We won't, I we won't, I mean, I, again, I think everybody has binged it at this point, but we won't spoil it just yeah. in case. Um, I want to ask you a question that is, it's, it's complicated for me to even wrap my brain around this question because you, so when you were in big sky, you critical acclaim, I mean, just like absolute, Rave reviews and and that was a real boundary breaking performance because Big Sky was an ABC show. It was the first time a non-binary character or one of the first times was was in a primetime yeah. drama um, with with a transgender woman playing the character uh, with Queer as Folk. Obviously, you know you, you play a trans woman. I, one of the things I wonder about is people, whether it's fans, whether it's the press, when we are talking to you as an actor, we are inherently, I don't know if more invasive is the correct way to put it, but we end up talking a lot about you as a person and Mm -hmm. your lived experience in a way that a cis actor might not have to do. It might just be questions about craft, or maybe not because everything is political as, as we know. But I'm wondering if there is any, is that a gift, a privilege, a burden, none of the above, all of the above? Is, is, what is that like for you?
1: What a, what a great question. Um, I would say all of the above. Um, I think I can only speak for myself. I am very open. I'm very honest. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I wear my queerness on my sleeve. Um, I understand when I walk into a room, I'm occupying space, whether I'm perceived this way or not, I am occupying space as a trans woman. Um, And that includes being on TV. That there, and I do feel an inherent responsibility to do, I, I, you know, I don't want to be an advocate all the time. Sometimes I just want to be an actor, but I know unfortunately and fortunately my involvement is political sometimes. Um, and I, I don't take that I don't take that lightly for for a second. You know, um, I will say, you know, going back, I believe it was with Katie Couric, uh, Laverne Cox, and Carmen Carrera. Uh, I believe I believe it was Katie Couric, if I'm remembering this correctly. When uh, uh, Carmen Carrera was asked about her body, and Laverne Cox was like, "This is really inappropriate. Like, we are more than just surgeries. We're more than just this. We're more than just that." And I, you can tell like that was a, that was definitely a turning point in how trans women are are treated in interviews. Um, have I been asked invasive and uh, disrespectful questions? Of course, find me a woman who hasn't. Um, I, I do hope I get to a place in my career where I can focus more on the role and the work. Um, but I believe a lot of the work I've been doing, at least, is inextricably tied to my transness, to my real life lived experience, and that is what—that is a gift that I can lend, not just to my characters, but to the industry. I can say this is bad representation. You need my help. This is good representation. Here's why. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I look forward to the day where I can play a character whose role has zero to do with her gender or sexuality. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and and you make the excellent point. I mean, I remember I have this vivid, vivid memory of being in college and, and, and watching, it was a, a comedy and a American comedy class and we watched nine to five. And I was like, I don't understand what, like why, why does this have to be about why can't this just be a comedy? Why are we talking ab- about it as being a comedy about women? And and my professor was like, because they are inextricably linked, you cannot, you cannot take them apart. And I, and I remember being really angry about that and then and then thinking about it more and being like, oh no, wait, why am I angry about that? That's just that's that's he's right because the experience of the woman in the workplace is critically sort of different.
1: Well it's like you know when you're looking at this is the default any deviation from that is something to be talked about and why is it being talked about? And I hate that, but it's true. I mean, even like uh, my character on Star Trek is trans and non-binary and, you know, I, I myself am trans and like, even though it's never directly spoken about, it's part of it. My transness is part of that story purposefully. Yeah. Even if it's through a metaphor and that's, and the difference between that and Queer Spoke is, it's not a metaphor, it's explicit, it's direct, it's having these deep, important conversations about transness. Um, that sometimes it's the reason why it seems vulnerable is because it is, you know, Jacqueline Morris said, sometimes there's certain things on the show that feel like she's sharing her, her baby photos. And it's like, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, I never thought I would sit in a in a at a premiere next to my family uh with like a thirty foot version of me with a dildo in her ass talking about why it's difficult to come. But you know, uh having important conversations.
0: <laughs> you, did <it>? you didn't? You
1: <laughs> didn't think No, that, I, that wasn't in my twenty twenty two bingo, but, but you but know I uh it happened.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Um you are just the dream Interviewee, because you keep naturally segueing to what my next question is. I want to talk about Star Trek. <laughs> Can you tell, tell us more about that role and that experience and your character? I want to hear everything.
1: I, I went to Toronto to film that literally two days after season one of Big Sky ended. Wow. Um, and it was just a whirlwind. I, the way I needed that role, truly, it's a dream. I'm, I'm such a fan of sci-fi. I'm such a fan of Star Trek. Um, I myself am a sci-fi writer uh, or an aspiring sci-fi writer. And I'm, I'm like, I've always said how amazing it would be to be able to do this like high profile sci-fi project. Never think it would actually be Star Trek. Um, and getting to play this badass, sexy, trans villain, like, sign me the fuck up, also, pardon my French, I keep swearing, um, <laughs> um, sign me up, it it was such a gift, and working with Sydney Freeland, who's, um, a brilliant director, and who also happens to be trans, um, you know, we were navigating some, like, some, like, slippery things, potentially, playing a, 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 dis, a, a trans character who is a little deceptive, it's, like, is that teetering into toxic tropes? This time, I don't think it is because of how it's handled, and I'm sure part of a lot of that is in the writing and producing, but a lot of that's also because me and Sydney were in the room. You know, this wasn't some cis man in a wig um, pretending to, to be a woman. It was um, it was so it was so different, and I love that. I love that right now. I'm playing two characters who get to be a little bad. You know, especially going from something like Jerry on Big Sky, who, yes, um, she's not perfect, but she was almost perfect. Mm. You know, she, um, she, she, she definitely, she didn't really often make mistakes. Um, And I think that's the difference when you're um, the only queer person really in the the room versus, um, you know, I don't know. I I don't know if this is a turning point of finally allowing trans women to, uh, I don't know mess up make mistakes a little evil i I, I, be human be human um you know i am excited to see trans heroes more trans heroes but um in the meantime live long and prosper i guess
0: (laughs) oh my god okay i have one last question but before i get to it i want to ask you if there's anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you would like to
1: um I think we hit, we hit a lot of it. Um, Oh, one thing I love about Queer as Folk um, is we get to see Ruthie, a trans woman who is an English lit teacher in Louisiana, who loves her job and is apparently good at her job, even though she makes some bad choices. Um, She's also about to become a parent and she becomes a parent and she's not ready for it. And her not being ready for parenthood is what I, I find really exciting as a really exciting arc because I think so often, you know, queer people don't really have the gift usually of accidentally becoming parents. You know, straight cis people accidentally become parents all the time. Um, and it's often this long, arduous, expensive journey for, for queer people, specifically for trans people. And getting to explore something as intimate as like why. Ruthie needed a sperm donor. Um, you know, why she's not ready to be a parent. How being a um, being a parent is tied directly to her gender dysphoria and her not really fully seeing herself as a mother and it taking time for her to get there. Um, that's something I'm really proud we got to show. And I, I hope we get to go further into that, really deep in that.
0: All right, my last question for you is if there are other actors out there that want to attain your level of success and, and just feel inspired by you, what what kind of advice would you offer them?
1: Cool. Um, this is gonna sound so cliche and corny, but truly, um, the industry didn't embrace me at all until I embraced myself. Um, I definitely struggled for years going to auditions that didn't fit me, going to auditions that I knew I would never book. And it wasn't until I said, uh, "This, I can't do this anymore," um, and I was—I became very specific. I got less auditions. Um, but I was right for them. And there were roles that not only did I need to play, but there were roles that um, someone needed me to play. Um, so my my advice, as corny as it is, is you can only be yourself. Even though our job is to be other people, we we our job is to also put pieces of ourselves into these people. There is not a character in the world that doesn't have some type of humanity that you can relate to. And I will never be able to relate to someone's full lived experience that I've not lived, but what I can relate to is myself. And um, maybe it's because I'm a little earnest and like wear wear myself very proudly. Um, But that, that has been a gift to my career and I, can only assume it would be a gift to others.
0: Well, I, I, yeah, I, I think it is. I think, I think you just gave everybody a gift. Um, and I. Birthday, I
1: can't... And Christmas, all of the above.
0: <laughs> um, Happy Arbor Day! Is Arbor Day coming yeah, up? Happy Arbor Day!
1: Happy Groundhog's Day! Happy Valentine's Day!
0: <laughs> Jesse James Kaitel, thank you. So much, everybody out there, if you have not yet watched Queer as Folk, if you have, watch it again. It is a, it is a gift. It is, it is a, a real, it's a, it's a wonderful experience and, and an important one. So uh, I'm Carla Sasenko. Thank you for joining In Creative Company today. Uh, we'll see you soon.
1: Thank you.